Yeah. I'ma tell you guys a little story about the House of Warriors. We ain't the people of the copper shit. Hello and welcome back to part two of the First Nations Health Authority podcast, Strengthen Yourselves. I'm here now with Teresa Windsor. Teresa, please introduce yourself. Yauts, Teresa Kelasunugwa, Eklund, Amotig Ach, Peggy Du Russell Wheatleyachlands, Getsokwanugwa. My name is Teresa Windsor. I am currently residing in Tmoza, home of the Heisla. My parents are Russell Ross and Peggy Ross, and I am from the Beaver Clan. I am a proud member of the Ha'isla Nation, and I've been born and raised here. I've spent a few years trying to pursue post-secondary schooling and things like that, but my heart has always come back to, and my my efforts have always come back to community. And so I, I find that I am very grounded in community work and I'm a family-oriented person. I have a blended family, and I have three sons, two daughters, and that keeps me quite busy for the most part. And yeah, I am also very active in my my parents' life. In your own words, Teresa, please tell us how you got here right now with your relationship with your language. Sure. Yeah, what's everyone? So I've always actually had a desire to have Haizakela in my life. I was very fortunate to be raised and I've spent a few years trying to pursue post-secondary and I was always influenced and, and around language, but I didn't really realize it until I was a lot older. But it started out with attending Haizakela Community School in our in our village here. And I remember being transferred from this from the school and the community to a local school in Kitimat town. And I remember back then feeling like really upset knowing that I was going to be losing the opportunity to learn Isaac Ella or to have it in my life. And I remember resisting at an early age against learning French. That was something that I really struggled with all the time. And then things really came back strongly for me and my desire to have Haizakela in my life when my own son attended the same community school that I attended in our in our village. And he came home and he was asking to offer or share a blessing, a food blessing that he learned in school. And we were at my parents' house and everyone around the table, or so there's my parents, myself, my sisters, my son, we were all brought to tears, uh, except for my son, because when we heard him speak the language and the blessing, it was just so beautiful. But for each of us, it just brought emotions. And at that time, I really didn't understand those emotions. And since then, I've been working to understand where those emotions have come from. And that's been a really healing journey, actually, for the past. It's been a huge healing journey, I should say, for the past five years or so that I've been actively including Isaac Ella in my life. And my son was a, a big inspiration coming home and saying that food blessing. But in saying that it brought emotions, it made me really look at why and how things had happened and how we were impacted by intergenerational impacts of of residential schools. So yeah, it's been quite the 
healing and realizing all of that and, and trying to like reclaim, reclaim our language. So yeah, my children have inspired me to play or take a, take a part in being active in language revitalization work. So after he came home saying that blessing in our language, I took it upon myself to organize community meetings. And this was on a volunteer basis. I was, I was actually employed by our, our band council at the time temporarily as a receptionist. And I just utilized the resources and places available to me through our band council and organized a community meeting. And I was shocked at the response that I got because the the small boardroom that we did have, it's actually not that small, but there was maybe about 20 to 25 people that had showed up. And there I had kind of just did a community poll asking, okay, like how many of you are concerned about the state of our language and what are your ideas around saving it and doing something about it? Because I'm here and I would like to be a part of that. And so we took notes. My sister was uh, my secretary, my volunteer secretary, and she took notes and she jotted everything down for me and I kind of worked it into a business proposal format and I decided I was, I was going to take one or two directions. I was going to either one approach my band council to see what kind of opportunities were available and see if they had any room for a position there. And if things didn't turn out that way, I was going to go the grassroots direction and just fundraise and and do my own thing and I'm familiar with working for a nonprofit organization so and I have connections to to do that so those are the two directions I was going to take and it turned out that the band council option uh, was worked out to be a favorable option at the time and it was a good opportunity to get things started in that organization as well so they posted a position for a community cultural coordinator, which was a very vague description of uh, what was to come. And when I was applied the, applied for the position and thankfully awarded, I really was overwhelmed at not knowing where to start. But yeah, that was about five years ago in March, actually. So it's coming up to about five years. I'm no longer in the position. I've decided to move on and pursue some things in my own my own art career I'm, I'm also an artist and art entrepreneur I should say I am just slowly starting to get my own business started up but that's a story for another time I have my parents who live very close by to me so yeah I, I guess you could say I have a very big family and uh, enjoy spending my my time with them thank you Chisa you said you were shocked about the response when you asked community if there was interest, what was the surprising part and what have you learned since? The surprising part was just the amount of people that showed up and the diversity of representation that was there. There was people of all ages that were there. And that was what was really inspiring was knowing that it was something that everyone was really wanting and needing. And yeah, that was something that really just like rekindled that, yeah, that desire to to want to be a part of that. Back in 2011, actually, my father was part of the culture and language portfolio. He was actually a council representative and he was on a portfolio that was aimed to uh, take care of cultural and language revitalization efforts. So my efforts actually kind of go back to then too, where I was trying to help him as a community member. So 
I did start a Facebook page back then called Heisley Language. And that one, that was kind of where I first kind of started engaging with community even back then. So I've always kind of had a presence in community around language. Also kind of speaks to the continuity too. Like my dad did set out to do a lot of the things that we carried out and the work that we've been doing in the culture and language program. So going back to some of the the initiatives that he had worked on when he was in the position to try and figure out how to do this language revitalization work, following up on it, I didn't actually see some of his plans until like a couple of years ago. So when I did look back on the plans that were created when he was in the position, it was really refreshing to see that we were very much in line with what what the goals were and that we were maintaining those wishes of other generations and other people who had done the language revitalization work previously. Let's talk a bit about mentorship and why being a mentor is so important to you. Well, when I was younger, I I was a part of our traditional dance group for a very long time. And I learned a lot of mentorship skills there. I actually stopped for quite some time after losing my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. And, but after having my daughter, she's seven now, but after having my daughter and her witnessing our dance group, she got me back out into participating in traditional dancing and seeing that with her, seeing her spirit and her enthusiasm to want to be a part of that and naturally wanting to be a part of that, naturally gravitating towards that made me realize that, okay, I've got these little eyes watching me and I can't, I can't pass on to her things that I don't want her to inherit, you know, and I have anxiety. I have, you know, I struggle with things. So dancing is just not something I was really comfortable doing. But for her, I didn't want to pass that on to her. So I had to put on my brave face and dance with her. And it made me realize that that was important to do for her, to to not show her that fear that I had. And it's just brought the most amazing relationship between the two of us. That's our thing now is that we we dance together and I've made regalia for us. And it really opened my eyes to how important it is to lead by example. That's the only way you can really be a good mentor to anybody is by leading by example. And as made, Megan mentioned, you know, it was really hard to fit into certain areas of community when there are certain focuses on certain interests and when those interests aren't really around our culture and traditional dancing that can be really hard to feel like you belong or that you fit in so I think by being that example and showing people that it's okay and you know uh, reminding them that and just but like I said leading by example that's the only way that we can really you know be a good mentor What do you learn when you mentor someone? I feel that I learn a lot more from the person that I am, you know, what I feel like it's very reciprocal, you know, Megan coming into my life. It hasn't just been a one-sided, you know, learning experience. She's taught me so much about a, a lot of things in life. She's a very bright individual and I just, she's opened my eyes to so much. And the gift that she has is the ability to heal through listening 
and understanding. And it's, I can honestly say that I've learned a lot more from younger people than I have. Yeah, I can, I can just say that I've learned a lot from the people that I've, I've worked with because I've had, we've had other summer students come into our program before. And it's just amazing some of the things that they've taught me. And for example, like self-care, you know, Megan is a strong advocate for mental health and wellness. And in doing so, that has taught me to, that it's okay to take care of myself. And, you know, that's inspired me to uh, look after my mental health and wellness you know, her story of grieving for her babao, you know, who was very close to my grandmother and some of just her journey and her experience. And that has really helped me out in my grief journey. I lost my grandmother that I was very close to last year. She passed away to cancer and Megan and I find a lot of things to relate to in that regard, but her experience has definitely helped me through my tough times, you know, so I've learned so much, you know, even just in the work ethic that she has and the drive that she has to uh, continually better herself and learn the language. Like, I don't think I would have, you know, we constantly inspire each other. And, and I find that that's been something that I really enjoy about getting to know her and having that relationship is that it's very reciprocal. We both really learn a lot from one another. And I think it's, uh, flourish because we share a lot of the same interests. I sometimes forget that there's this huge age gap. <laughs> so Megan, I'm going to come back to you and ask you to respond to the two-way street of mentorship. And how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, even like I mentioned, going out to those culture camps. Yeah, I was learning the language from the elders out there, but those kids also taught me to have fun. They taught me to let loose, to just run barefoot on the beach, to just hop off that rock into the ocean and go swimming, even though it's raining a little bit, you know, <laughs> like they just, they're, they're so carefree and happy and they just want to connect. And I can definitely agree with a lot of what Teresa has said. We're always learning from each other. And as long as you're you're open-minded to it. Like you learn something from everyone that crosses your path, but it is really special to develop the type of friendship and the sisterhood that me and Teresa now have. And it's, it's wild for me to think all of that could have never happened if I didn't just go see her that one day and just say, Hey, like what you're doing is pretty cool. Like how, how can I help? Like all of this has happened from that. So that's why I, I really try and encourage people. I mentioned in another in another interview I did, the people that are now some of my closest mentors and just role models in my life, some of them were not in my life at all to begin with. Like we weren't maybe through past family members, we had connections, but I feel like you, your spirit leads you. You definitely, you find your people. And like Teresa said, I went to her for language, but we ended up having way more in common than we could have imagined. So it's, it's really, it's cool, I think, to find people that are just as, as eager to learn about the things you want to learn about and just as passionate when you're talking about it. Yeah, it's been, it's been healing too, to have such like a good, healthy friendship. Because I know you can, 
as people are on their own healing journeys too you know we're all on different different paths and it's nice to to meet someone that happens to really understand the specific path that I'm on and could give me those those tips and that guidance when I feel like I start to lose my way it's helpful yeah that's beautiful thank you Megan it's uh, amazing to see the mentorship turn into sisterhood very beautiful thank you for sharing as you start to gain confidence how did that feel for you I think for me I kind of had a moment where I realized everything that I was doing there was intentional efforts made for me to not be able to do that and it was a a lot to take in like I'm not supposed to be confidently speaking my language right now I'm not supposed to be proud of who I am and where I come from I'm not supposed to be able to understand our old chiefs and you know my mamaos and my babaos when they speak but I'm starting to understand them more and more every day and I'm even shocked at my own like I said I'm shocked at my own knowledge sometimes sometimes people speak and I just it's like the first time I've heard a speech you know since covid and I catch myself off guard cuz I'm like I I understand you and it's a moment where I literally have to stop and pause and just like soak up that moment cuz part of me for so long didn't think I'd ever be able to like my grand would speak it and it would be like ooh Geez, that's a lot of harsh throat sounds or, you know, like it just seemed like the most difficult language possible to learn. And interestingly enough, one of my friends described it as sounding like German backwards. <laughs> but it's just such different sounds to make. And I was a little intimidated by it. But since then, since I just decided to take that leap and just just hop in the water and try, it's like I keep feeling like I keep repeating myself it's it's been healing and it's changed the way I see the world and it's changed the way I I just live you mentioned how connecting with elders and that it's really empowering feeling how does it feel that you're caring for the next generation that might not be at the place of like a mentorship role like learning as intensely as Megan but that you're able to connect with these elders and have these conversations with them that are on a deeper level because you understand the language and it's inside of you and you're carrying that to the next generation. How does that feel? Is there pressure with that feeling? I personally find it very empowering to hold knowledge and and be able to recognize when elders are comfortable enough to share their knowledge and parts of their story and and their truth with me cuz i now understand justifiably they don't want to share that with just anybody so to be able to sit in their their presence and their power and have them share you know technically they're not they weren't supposed to be have the strength to share that with me they weren't supposed to view it as valuable knowledge but here we are we're rebuilding these connections and I'm I feel like sometimes I'm just pestering them because I just want to know and I want to understand and I do acknowledge I need to work on my patience in that regard <laughs> but I'm just so like I, cr- I just crave that knowledge now because I feel like I didn't get it when 
I was developing and potentially really needed it. So now I'm trying to pick up these pieces of, you know, my own story of my family's story and put it together in a way that makes sense. And I'm realizing now, like, everybody has a piece. No matter if you think you know nothing, you have a piece. If you grew up in a house that fishes, you know a lot more about salmon and ulican than I do. If you came from a family that hunts or that did art, you're way more knowledgeable in those specialties than I could ever be. So we can learn from each other all the time. And each elder, once they do reach that comfort level and they really open up and share with you, you realize just all of them carry such remarkable stories and it's of survival really that's what it is and being able to carry even a part of their truth and their legacy and carry it forward I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a high school person I'm learning I'm absorbing and I'm passing it on as best I can and I was getting nervous on how much I was sharing. And recently this week, actually, I asked my grand, like, is it okay what I'm doing? Like, <laughs> I'm just checking in. Like, are you okay with what I'm doing? <laughs> like, when I hear a story, am I allowed to share it then? She's like, once it's been told to you, that's your responsibility to share it. So it helped reframe and settle those feelings I was having too about, ooh, you know, kind of like, traditionally speaking, who am I? <laughs> but it's we're all figuring it out and and learning together and i'm very open that i'm learning i'm no expert we're all learning so i got so immersed in your response and and what you're saying i totally forgot what the question really was can you rephrase it please unfortunately Teresa, we are out of time this ends part two of the first nations health authority podcast strengthen yourself Stay tuned for part three. I want to thank you for listening. And Megan and Charissa, thank you very much. Yo. I'm going to tell you guys a little story. We're taking back the languages. They said 